Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. We are talking once again to our friend Noah Ellert. Noah is um, a former foster youth who went on a long, a very long bike ride journey across the southern part of the country, and he visited a number of group homes uh, to talk to youth in foster care or youth who are about to age out of foster care, just to inspire them, to mentor them, to let them know that there is hope for them, to encourage them to follow their dreams. And it was an incredible, incredible journey. We followed Noah. This is actually our third podcast with him. And so now you're home, Noah, and you did it, you made it. And how are you feeling now? Uh, I'm good. I'm feeling great. Uh, it, it was it was amazing to get home and see the family. Um, you know, they weren't able to come out and visit on the trip or see me at the end just because of current situation and circumstances. But um, doing the, the the project and the ride and and meeting all the kids out on the road, delivering comfort cases, um, it was just it's something that I'm never going to forget. And it's just it's really inspired me um, to, you know, just kind of pave the way for what I want to continue to do for kids in foster care uh, in the future. I'm just really, really excited. I mean, this is a first small step of many steps. And you're working on a documentary, right? You documented the entire trip? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, we did. So we have, oh man, I can't even count the amount of hours, but right now I'm on day 36 out of 60 days of footage that I'm going through. And um, the most recent clip that I looked at was this little interview with um, an 18-year-old girl named Kiana. And remember I told you about when we give out the, the comfort cases and how kids latch onto the stuffies? Yes, even though they're teenagers and older kids, they right. still love their stuffies. Right. I didn't notice that when I was doing the interview, but she was actually holding her stuffy in her lap while she talked about her... Her situation and how she got to uh, how she got to the transitional living facility, and uh, I, I just I looked and I was like, oh man, <laughs> there it is. There's the stuffy from the comfort case. Wow. It was fantastic to see that. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So, so I have um, a couple questions. So, um, when when and again, your family wasn't able to be there. I actually had planned on going to Florida to see you cross the finish line as well. And because of the, the coronavirus, you know, that was not able to happen for so many people. But one of the things I want to know is when, when you got off that plane or you drove home to, and you saw your parent, I mean, your mom, your wife and your children, mm-hmm. could you, your little boy had a birthday, by the way. Um, both my boys had birthdays while I was gone. Yep. Both of your boys had birthdays. You got an, you got to tell me you know, the tears flowed didn't they oh they did yeah it was uh they flowed for a while um and uh it was just really good to embrace them and they were 
you know, gets me emotional right now just thinking about that moment walking through the door. Um, it's hard uh, to be away from the people that you care about, and you you have to embrace it because you know that all the kids that we visited and all the kids that we saw on the trip, they don't have that moment right now. They don't have the people that they miss. Yeah. Um, they're they're stuck in this in-between spot and to, to get home and hug my family knowing that that was the situation that I just left and all these kids, it, just, it really made me appreciate what I have and it really made me conscious of my efforts to try and get that in other people's lives for them too. So it was, um, those hugs were really powerful when I returned many levels. Noah, how did it change you? Well, it, it changed me in many, many ways. Um, because before this trip, I knew my story. I knew the reasons that, um, I felt alone and scared and unloved. And, um, I had my eyes opened to the hundreds upon thousands of reasons that other kids feel alone and scared and unloved and, and angry and, um, you know, it, it just things that didn't dawn on me being other people's stories. And um, I see it everywhere now and I, and I feel that I'm very um, conscious of of other people's struggles more now. And uh, the amount of kids I met that were pushed from their home because of their their sexual identity was a huge eye opener for me. And, and you know, I I guess because it wasn't something that I had gone through, I just didn't. It wasn't on my my forefront radar. But meeting kids that all they wanted was their the acceptance of their parents was it was just it hurt it hurt my heart for them. It, um, it's, it, I just can't explain it. It's just, it, it's, it's shocking to me too, that there's this another reason, uh, uh, for, for parents to try and push their kids away. It just, it, you know, I know it blows my it's mind. It's changed me a lot, Rob. It's changed me a lot, Rob. And, and I, I can hear that in your voice, my friend, I can hear that in your voice. And you know, the, the, that you brought that up. I mean, the LGP, the LGBTQ, um, kids uh seem to be growing more and more and more in these group homes um and again they're being kicked out because they their parents feel like they made a choice when actually it's not a choice some you know um anyone who has grown up as a gay person knows that this is not the lifestyle i would have ever chosen so um i'm happy i love my children love my husband but i i'm telling you it's it's a rough world out there you know I, I'm I'm excited to watch the documentary. I'm excited to see some of the moments where you know that child who receives that comfort case, um, and how you know as as I've heard kids say so many times is why are you doing this? You don't know me, or you know, and and there was a moment in your social media, um, and which I followed you every single day, but there was a moment in one of your posts in your social media where you were able to sit down with a group of young men, um, 
before the coronavirus hit and you were able just to talk. And mm-hmm. you talked about that and about how moving that was. It, it, bring me to that place. Bring me to that place because as we know, these kids, they have every right to be angry. They have every right to be upset. And here all of a sudden you're coming into their, their, their home and you want to talk. How, how, did, how did it go? Well, the um, one of the last places that we did get to to talk to before everything got shut down um, was a place called CCYS, which is Capital City uh, Capital City Youth Services, um, and uh, that's in Tallahassee. And I got to meet with a group of kids outside, and typically I try to not get really emotional, but um, Somebody asked me the question of, of how do you you know how do you get through a day uh, if it's tough and and I got really emotional because I was talking about the kids and I and I looked at all those kids and you know, half of the group um, started crying with me and I, I don't, don't know what their emotions were that day but I knew what mine were and I just told them that uh, you know I did this to prove that that people can push through hard times. And I did it because, you know, and I told them that I only met you guys an hour ago, but I really care about you and I'm here for you. And I want you to know that um, you guys are stronger than you think. And when times got tough for me out on the road, I just thought about you because right now you can't choose. You can't choose to change your situation. All you can do is work on yourself and try and get through it and try and get through it and push through it positively. So anytime I struggled, I thought about you guys, and I would never quit on you guys, and that's how I got through it. So uh, it was very emotional, and um, every time I think about the kids, I, I had a you know a package of thank you notes here, uh, stuff from a, a few groups of kids when I got back, and... Uh, yeah, they're they're forever grained. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing this. Any any chance I get, um, you know, we're already planning another trip to Florida to do the rounds of the Florida network and talk to kids. Um, I don't know how it goes. I'm not a trained professional at talking to kids, but I have been told from the people who were there and the counselors that were there that um, they got a lot out of it and they they haven't seen kids connect with a person like that in a long time. So. From an outsider's perspective, I think it was fruitful. I think it was really powerful. So, you know, during this journey, um, there it's just like it reminds me of the journey of how many times I go to schools or, or, you know, social workers that I bring kids and I speak to. There's always that one kid who just can't um, leave your heart. My one child who could not leave my heart, I end up having him come home and he now is my son. <laughs> but, 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 and you don't have to say the kid's name, but explain who is that kid? Because I know that there is a kid that has, that tapped your heart like you never thought. Yeah, I mean, um, can I mention a couple? Of course, of course. Because <laughs> there were, there were more than, there were more than one. Um, uh, Trent, this kid Trent really got me. He, he was a go-getter. He was 17. Uh, he, he knew that he was about to be 18 and he had a lot of challenges ahead of him, but he was ready to take him on and he wanted the help. 
He wanted the the guidance. Um, he basically just wanted somebody to tell him what he needed to do. And, uh, you know, that, that pulled on my heartstrings a lot because it's there. This, this population of kids, they're not just bad kids. They're, they're, they're kids that want to succeed. They just are trying to figure out how to get there. They want to communicate. They're trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and he just full-heartedly said that's what he wants to do. And another kid um, was in uh, Arizona when I met him. When I asked about goals, uh, he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, I want to find a positive way to work on my trauma. And I thought, well, holy shit. <laughs> this kid has this answer figured out. And, and just, I mean, anybody who's been through a lot of things, once you look at it and you give it a name and you say it's trauma, I'm angry because of trauma, I'm sad because of this trauma, and you know that you want to deal with it, and you make that a goal, you're well on your way to achieving that goal because you've acknowledged the problem and you're going to move forward from that. Um, these are just a couple of kids. I mean, I could, I mean, I met over 100 kids on this trip, and uh, they're all equally special. So do you do you think for that kid who wants to find a way to deal with his trauma, do you think that he's getting the services that he needs in order to do that? Oh, man. I mean, that's a loaded question, too. We, we, we hope so. We hope so. But it, um, to bring that up and to talk about the negatives is the situation. Every place I stopped, there was a situation that came up where the answer was, we're very short-staffed. So when kids talk about, I, you know, I asked every group, I said, what do you feel that you need to succeed? What do you feel is missing? What, what do you want? And the questions came back like, well, I wish there were more people to talk to. So already this kid knows that they need to talk to somebody. They want to talk to somebody, but they don't feel that there are people or enough people for them to talk to. And that, to me, is a huge problem. So to answer that question, Dana, no, I don't know if they're getting enough. I don't know if the resources are there. And we need to treat it as if these people, you know, the staff in these places are crisis care workers. There are people who swing in in a moment's notice to essentially save someone's life. Now, doesn't a firefighter do that or a police officer do that or a paramedic do that? Why is it that we don't treat these people in some kind of the same regard as these other lifesavers. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It do- Yeah, it, it totally does. I mean, we, and, we give a lot of appreciation to fire police, first responders, especially in a time like this, but you never hear about the social workers who are swooping in to work with kids who are in a crisis. So yes, I totally right. get and it. And I certainly, just to be blunt, I don't want to take anything away from, from, first responders, and I, I love them dearly, so I, I want that to be very clear, but right. um, we do need more people. I don't like, I, I don't think any of us like the answer that, well, there's, you know, we're short-staffed. We don't have the people. We don't. How do we get the people? What is the, what is the broken part of the system that makes people not want to be in it or not stay in it or not, you know, you know what that 
missing ingredients is because I, I... No, I will tell you that it's a lack of support. And the what we see throughout trauma centers of children who are in, um, whether it's a group home, whether it's a, a residential treatment facility, um, it is lack of support. Um, we are not funding enough money um, for these these places to make sure that they have adequate staffing. The burnout ratio is so high because, um, you know, as, as I, and I speak to a lot of people at treatment facility places for young children, and I hear the same story over and over and over is that they feel like it's a revolving door for these kids yeah. that know the kids truly because there are so many kids and there's so few staff that these kids are not getting the treatment that they need. Um, and instead, they're just getting a Band-Aid put over it. And then they get that yeah. Band-Aid put over it. They, they stay in these treatment facility places, these group homes, in the group home situation you know it's it, it, you got a lot of kids with a lot of baggage and and mm-hmm. and we need to do more and more one on one with these children but i but i hear it all the time it's the it's the lack of what we hear about everything funds it's the lack of funds yeah. and i say it over and over and over if we do not as a country invest in these children then the only thing we're going to do is continue to keep building prisons. And if we don't think that that's a cost, you know, then we, we're kidding ourselves because it would be a hell of a lot cheaper if we would take care of these children from the beginning, give them the, the, the therapy that they need, the support they need, Allow them to be angry yeah. because yeah. they have every right to be angry, but be there to support them and show them that they are loved unconditionally. We'll see changes within this, my my brother. I'm telling you this right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was saying too, and uh, speaking to John Robertson, who um, works at the Florida Network and has helped me out a lot with this. Um, like you said, putting band aids on things. Um, he has these these fantastic ideas about not just putting band-aids on things or keeping kids um, out of prison until they're 18 and then they basically end up in prison afterwards. But he has these ideas to invest and invest in their futures so that they will choose these lives to live and they will also get that feeling of, of achievement and accomplishment and just that, you know, like... When you receive that gift from a stranger, like I did with the bicycle, right? It made me change the way I saw myself. Because why is this stranger helping me? Why do they want to help me? Why? Are, it's not just don't do that. Stay out of trouble. You need to get grades. You need to go. You know, and it's this forceful manner. Whereas if you you developed them, like a parent would be supportive of a child and want to nurture their cares and their feelings, rather than reprimanding them and putting a thumb down on them. Does that make sense? Yeah. In this, that it's, it's cheaper. You spend less money trying to improve their lives than you do just trying to keep them in a place where they won't die, where they won't hurt somebody else, or they won't end up in prison, at least until they're 18. I agree. I agree with you. So listen, tell me what's next. What's next? Um, well, 
everything is after <laughs> after our current situation, of course. So that's on hold. But um, next, there should be another trip to uh, Florida to talk to more kids in um, June, hopefully, May or June. Um, but I'm working hard on this documentary. That is um, the next couple months is going to be that. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll put out a few few clips um, while I'm putting things together. Um, I got some great interviews from this kid named Brandon who wants to be a, a state senator in Indiana to push jobs and uh, uh, hopefully help a lot more kids that were like him. There's uh, another girl, Tiger, who uh, wants to become a youth counselor uh, because she's been through a lot. She wants to let people know that uh, you can get through it if she could get through it. Uh, there's just tons of kids who I've met who have great things to say, and I'm hoping to share some of that footage over the next couple months. What part of Indiana? I don't remember the, the exact town. I met him in Arizona, but he was originally from Indiana. Definitely let me know because we have connections. Dana and I have connections with people in Indiana. Um, we would love to you know, help try to be a part of this journey for him. And listen, we're going to still be a part of this journey. You have a packing party that we are going to do together. I'm excited yes. for you to come to the National Center, and we're going to pack cases, and we're going to celebrate oh, yeah. you um, and just everything that you have done to bring awareness to kids who are in our foster care system. Noah, this is not going to be the last time we talk. I can't wait to do the premiere of your documentary and as the clips come out, please make sure that you send them to Dana and to I for us to continue to share them with all of our listeners and followers through our social media. And I know this is your third time being on our podcast, but now that you have taken this journey and now that you have seen things that you've only thought about or read about or were told about, I think the question that Dana's getting ready to ask you probably will mean more than I think any of our guests. So Dana, take it away. So Noah, if you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? Yeah, this is, um, it's like they just keep getting more loaded each time you ask. Uh, that I mean, I have to go back to the loving family thing. I, I, we need more people. How do we get more people? I don't like the question of short staff and, um, what can we do? How do we get more loving families? It's not, just about a paycheck. Where do we find these people that love children and want to see them succeed? This is the problem. It needs to change. Um, I will say this on a note that I didn't mention. Uh, I did receive an email, um, and somebody directly mentioned the Discover Your Path tour in their inquiry to become a foster family. Love it. Wow, that's great. Love it. <laughs> Love um, it. Yes, but we're, we're, we're going to keep um, figuring out how to how to make it better, Dana. I uh, just seems that there's always something else that pops up. It does. It does. Well, listen, my friend. It is great to hear your voice. I cannot wait to give you that big, huge hug once the social distancing oh, is done. I'm a, I tell people all the time, if anybody knows me, I'm a hugger. Um, as soon as social distancing is, is, is done, I'm hugging everybody I see. I miss, right, miss, right. miss. My kids said to me just the other day, Dad, if you hug us one more time, I swear. Because I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, I need a hug. I need You're a hug. You're the only ones I can hug right now. <laughs> I need a hug. Yeah. Listen, Noah, we love you. Um, and again, we will be posting this on 
on our social media platforms so people can still give to the cause. They can still help. And listen, you know, I say it all the time. We, I, we, it's so funny. I'm looking at Dana and I, and we both have our Be a Good Human t shirts on. Oh, yeah, we do. And um, you are truly a good human. So thank you, my friend, and have an amazing rest of your week. You too. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Noah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.